Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. O God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Open our minds and hearts to the joy of your word proclaimed, that we might draw closer to you. Amen. Our scripture reading is Mark 8, verses 31 through 38. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, this is page 919. Listen now for the word of God. Then Jesus began to teach that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father, the holy angels. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Well, in this sermon series on the Gospel of Mark, we are lingering a bit in this eighth chapter because so much occurs here that is pivotal for understanding the entirety of the Gospel. Uh, the passage that was just read follows immediately upon the verses we read last week. As a reminder, Jesus asked his followers, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, I know you. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You are the one God has promised would come. For generations, God has promised that you would come and rule in justice and righteousness you are our leader. And almost as if Jesus had been waiting for that moment, he says to them, sit down. There's some things I need to tell you now. There's some things I need you to understand, some things I need to teach you now. I actually did not come to sling power around 
I have not come to rule or dominate. That is the way of the world. I have come to submit. I've come to suffer. I will be killed, and on the third day rise again. But then he says, but I'm not just telling you my story. I'm telling you your story. For if you want to know the life that I provide, if you want to know the life that I know, then from time to time you will have to carry your own cross too. It's a hard word. And truth be told, it's not a word they really understood. Jesus says these exact words three times in Mark's gospel, and even after three times, his followers still don't completely understand. They assume that he had come to make their life comfortable. And instead, he talks about cross-bearing. It's a hard word, but it's important for us to know that he speaks this hard word for the same reason he says everything else. It's because he loves them, and it's the truth they need to hear. I've told you before, when, uh, when our kids turn 13 years old, I gave them a trip for their birthday, just just the kid and me. Nathan figured out, he said, this is really more for you than it is for me, isn't it, Dad? I said, well, yeah. My friend Brant gave me the ideas. He did the same thing with each of his boys. Now, the trips were nothing fancy. Sarah said, Dad, can we go to New York and see some shows? I said, I have a better idea. Let's go to Branson. Nathan and I, we went to St. Louis. We had a good time. Sarah and I, we saw some shows, and we ate dinner on that paddle boat. What is it? The Branson Bell. And, and Nathan and I, we played some golf. I think he got his first par, and, and we took in a couple of baseball games. The purpose of the trip, though, was the drive home when it was just us in the car. I told him, you're getting older. There's some things I need you to know. I don't have a lot of wisdom, but I want to share with you what I think I know. And I shared four points with them both. Sarah still calls them the four things. I was trying to talk to them about life as I understand it, so some of what we talked about wasn't easy. But I shared it with them because they are among the people I love most in the world. I. I read this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, and I can almost envision them in the car on the way home from St. Louis. Jesus saying, there's some things you need to know now. You've journeyed a bit, but there's a lot more to come, and there's some things I need to teach you. Jesus says, the irony of life is that it's never really going to matter. It's never really going to have meaning for you apart from some sacrifice. To be truly human in this world, it's not going to happen apart from some sacrifice. From time to time, you'll need to carry your own cross. But listen, it's, it's not for sacrifice's sake. It's, it's not 
it's not for suffering's sake. It's because every relationship requires sacrifice. From time to time, every relationship requires sacrifice. And if I understand it, part of what Jesus is trying to tell them in this moment is I ask you who you think I am. But now you have to show who you know me to be. This, this faith is not just something we think. It shows up in our choices, in our relationships. Uh, my, my grandfather, the one I told you about last week, the one who refused to go see Dr. Sheely because he didn't pass Miss Amick's fourth grade class, that grandfather, he was fond of saying, I'm not a big fan of book learning, he called it. I learned my best lessons in the school of life. I don't know all the details, but I know that both of his parents died before he was a teenager. And so his school of life lessons started for him as a preteen. I admire him. He scratched out a life. It was simple. It was modest and humble. But he raised two boys to become good men. And interestingly enough, he made sure they both went to college to get some of that book learning he was so skeptical of. I think about him sometimes when I sit in my office, which could pass for a library. There are a couple of thousand books in there. I read from at least one of them every day. He and I are different in so many ways. I actually am a fan of the wisdom one can gain from reading and study, from critical reflection. I admire the wisdom of Socrates who said an unexamined life is not worth living. And yet, my grandfather's got a point. In fact, for all of us, there is a wisdom that can only be known from the school of life, from practice. I actually don't think Jesus would say the unexamined life is not worth living. I think Jesus would say the uncommitted life is not worth living. If I understand the text, Jesus says faith is not something we think. It's something we practice. It's something we live. It's something that we try on and trust now and again. It's a little bit like riding a bike or learning to swim. You can read about it, but you're not going to learn to swim without getting wet. You're not going to learn to ride a bike without putting your feet on the pedals Faith is like that too. It shows up in the choices we make in our relationships. And if our faith is going to be meaningful, if our lives are going to be meaningful, they will from time to time require sacrifice. If I understand it, and this is important, cross-bearing is not an endurance test. It's not a call to hurt. It's a call to hang in with relationships, even when they're hard. Several years ago, Carol and I were at dinner, and she looked at me and she said, Tom R., there's some amazing things about you. How about that? 
I mean, it wasn't an anniversary or anything. She just threw that out there. I said, gosh, Carol, thank you. That means so much for you to say. And she said, good, I'm not finished. (laughs) She said, I'm working really hard to pay attention to those amazing things about you because if I don't, there's some other things about you that just might push me over the edge. Oh, relationships take sacrifice. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just wait. I was a young pastor. I don't, I don't think Nathan had been born yet, and there was an elder in our church, Joe, and one Christmas, Joe had, Joe had grown children and lots of grandchildren. One Christmas, they all came home. I saw them there on Christmas Eve. They filled up a couple of pews, grandchildren crawling all the pews and down on the floor. It was active and alive and wonderful. A couple of Sundays later, I saw Joe. I said, Joe, how was the holiday? How was Christmas? He said, it was, it was good. It was really good. But Rev, I got to tell you, sometimes the best Christmas lights or tail lights. <laughs> Relationships require sacrifice. You know that, and you also know this. We are motivated to sacrifice for those we love the most. We're motivated to do that. We're motivated to give of ourselves in sacrificial ways for those who are closest to us. Every parent knows this truth. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Every, Every spouse knows the reality of this. Every friendship that lives more than a season understands that relationships require some sacrifice, and that's holy and faithful, but it's also hard. That's why Christ tells us If you want to know a meaningful life, you got to carry a cross from time to time. It's just part of it. But if I understand this, I think there's more here too. I, I think the invitation of Jesus, the imagination of Jesus, is to invite us to broaden that circle of humanity for whom we are willing to sacrifice. To to put ourselves in a position that we're willing to broaden that circle of humanity for whom we're willing to sacrifice and just see what God might do with that. I read last week about Volodymyr Bondarenko. Volodymyr Bondarenko lives in the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv. He's holed up in his one-bedroom apartment in between air raid sirens and scrambling for food. He's communicating with people online, and many of them are in the United States. When language is a barrier, he communicates, it says, mostly through emojis. And He communicates tearful emojis and sometimes just praying hands. Most of the people he's communicating with in the States are people who are renting out his one-bedroom apartment through Airbnb, but they have no intention of using it. It's just a way to provide some resources for people who are in trouble. 
And I read that last week in a two-day period, Americans rented out over 30,000 nights in Ukraine. And all Mr. Bondarenko can do is send grateful emojis. Now, there are two ways to look at this. We can say that what we're doing there is a service. It's a, a service. It's a gift, a benevolence. We're sending some money and saying, God bless you. And that's a good thing, limited as it may be. But the church has taught me another way to look at this. It's, it's the kind of action that happens when there is a, an awakening in us to the humanity of another. And as distant and fragile as it may be, there's an awakening in us that recognizes that when the other is human, then we are in it together. Whatever you were in and whatever I am in, we are in this together. There's a relationship. Distant, fragile, new, but it is that relationship, that view and understanding of relationship that inspires broadening the circle for whom we are willing to sacrifice. Am I making any sense? I say the church has taught me this because the church has never existed apart from mission. And the truth is, sometimes our mission is just service. We just give resources and say, God bless you, and hope things go well. And that's good. But it's not our most meaningful mission. It's not our most satisfying mission. No, time and time again, the mission that Village has engaged in is a mission where we have recognized the humanity and people whose lives are very different from our own, dramatically different from our own. And then we have chosen to do a little cross-bearing. We have chosen to sacrifice because we recognize the humanity of another who belongs to God is tied to the humanity that I belong to God. And so we're in relationship, and it requires sacrifice. And time and again, villages chose to do a little cross-bearing, and we, when we have, we realize we wouldn't have it any other way. It was over 25 years ago now, a man, he was almost he was barely a kid then, named Andy Wilson. He's a man I never knew, but he's changed my life, and he's changed the life of a lot of us here at Village. He took some of our youth to the Dominican Republic, and he started a relationship there. It's a friendship that changed his life and those who went and has continued to change lives both in the DR and here at Village. And today, right now, some of our own students who weren't even born when Andy Wilson took that first trip, they are in the DR meeting some of the same people that Andy met over 25 years ago and also meeting people who weren't born then. But they're continuing that relationship. And we do some service. We provide some resources. But what they need from us most, I think, is to know that we see them, that we see the humanity in them, and we need them to see the humanity in us. And when that happens, we'll do a little cross-bearing. We wouldn't have it any other way. 
This is, just, this is just one of the ways, one of the many ways that Village lives the mission of Jesus Christ. I could talk about the relationship we have with those students at Faxon and year after year of that. So many of you have been part of that. I could talk about our new friendship with artists helping homeless and the clients there. The list goes on. I, I could keep you here until the time changes again, talking about all the ways we live out the mission of Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying. And you know in your own experience, relationship that matters, it will require sacrifice from time to time. Jesus sits his friends down and he says, I need to tell you something. And it's not easy because God is not ultimately about making your life comfortable. God is about making your life blessed. And to know that... It's going to require some cross-bearing from time to time because that's the only way we hang in with one another. Now, the truth is they didn't get it at first. It was an unexpected word because they, they assumed when the Messiah would come that the leader would make it comfortable for us Jesus says, no, that's not my goal. My goal is to make your life blessed. And they, they didn't quite get it right away. But you, I think you do. I think you know exactly what he's talking about. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.